0: Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful, this is God in Country, The Collision of Faith and Politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener.
1: All right, all right, all right. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. You have absolutely... You guys know what you've reached, right? Sometimes people surprise me and they they don't know that they luck on the show. Well, they might not say luck. <laughs> Sometimes they uh, they're not as happy. They're, happy. They're not happy campers, if you will. So, I feel bad for them. But you know what? I don't feel totally bad because you're in a good place. You're in a good place. <laughs> Chat is already open, by the way. The U.S. should just rejoin the British Empire. We'll sort you out. <laughs> One of my Brit listeners, I am... So last week, by the way, last week's show, if you didn't listen to it, uh, by the way, let's just go back to Sunday. I'd love for you to listen to Sunday's show, Three Loves, and again, a lot of feedback on that, which I'm glad a lot of people saying that it blessed them. It's a, it's a message. It's commercial free. Um, you know, it's designed to help. So this is designed to help, but in a different way. And uh, the collision of faith and politics, you're with the ninja pastor Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener and uh, I make no, uh, I don't pretend at all that I'm Mr. Perfect or in any way uh, better than anyone else. I have my hurts, habits, and hangups. My flaws are many. So, well, one thing that makes me better is I have my little puppy right here. Little puppy, Buckeye is my little show helper and Taco Boy just brought me my, uh, brought me my tea. I have instructed him to give me less honey actually last week i believe i went into some sort of sugar shock it's all natural honey but he said all right dad i got you i am going to give you enough honey that you will never ask for it again or at least extra and he's right (laughs) because holy moly that was a lot by the end of the show i was twitching and quaking and whatnot so stay tuned today uh we're gonna have uh, really and truly one partner that has been with us Uh, i'm actually an affiliate for them second call defense which you've heard about them you're gonna hear a little bit more um then there is uh this i'm super excited super super excited blog ox hello jerry jerry from pennsylvania Logox, he's joining us in chat, I'm telling you, you're gonna, it's like a master's degree education in chat, I'm telling you. So Logox is a a new thing we're partnering with and I'm telling you, I wish like anything, I can't wait to tell you about it. I wish like anything I'd have had this when I was a kid and I'll tell you all about when I was a kid. Today's show, I mean, first of all, do you guys know there's a Russian ship, a spy ship off the coast of, they were off the coast of Delaware, great state of Delaware, the first state, and then they, uh, they've moseyed on up near one of our sub bases, which I don't know if you know, kind of a problem. It's kind of a problem. I could not see them from my house, but as my son instructed me, I could uh, zip down to Lewis, Delaware, go to the Cape and Leopold State Park, climb up one of those towers, I bet with my 600 millimeter lens, I bet you I could see them. So good, good suggestion, Doyle. I might go do do that tomorrow. Uh, But they're moving up and down the coast. And so who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, We know that uh, the Honorable Elizabeth Letchworth Christ is going to be here with us a little bit later today. We're going to ask her about that. But, but I've been very powerfully moved in this regard to talk about, I am pretty sure about talking about her Little Blue Book of Grieving, More Than Just Stories. Elizabeth Letchworth is the author. And this is what I said about it. I was one of the people uh, she asked to write an inscription for the back of the book. And that's, uh, you, you guys, that's a huge honor. I don't know if you know. This was good. These, the last words of Elizabeth Letchworth's beloved husband, Ron. Well described this deeply touching and healing book of remembrance. This little blue book of grieving is a beautifully written testament, not only to the sweet committed love between a husband and a wife, but also the eternal love between God and his children. Elizabeth takes us from the role of reader to that, that of blessed observer who sees the sweet remembrances of a dedicated wife, deeply in love with her husband and a committed couple, loving their God through the toughest of times. Ron lived well, and finished well were he to read this excellent book by his wife ron might well say at the end of this wonderful book this was good because that is exactly what i said a little blue book of grieving so if you know anyone should be on in a little bit the honorable elizabeth let and then we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about it's going to be fast-paced um we're going to talk about that and we are going to be talking about what's going on in the United States today, there is so much going on. You know, I mentioned earlier the, uh, I mean, the, the Russian ship that used to be a big deal. By the way, that used to be a big deal. By the way, you guys remember when Barack Obama was called on an open mic? I'm sorry, I mispronounced his name. Barack Hussein Obama. When he said on uh, a mic, he didn't know it was on. He leaned over to Vladimir Putin and said, hey, you know, no problem, dude. We got this. You just let me, you know, let a little time go on. We'll handle this. You know, I don't know how he said it, but it's basically what he was saying. Hang in there. We don't know. Or some sort of Russian. I don't know if it was Putin or not. Elizabeth can clear that up for me. But the bottom line is this. Now, all of a sudden, with Lieutenant General Flynn, good man, by the way, Democrat, ironically, uh, you know, he's been drummed out and we've got a massive leak in the intelligence service. I have a sense now, I don't know if that's accurate or not. We shall see. I have a sense that president Donald Trump, vice president Michael Pence, and I think they might turn some other folks loose on it. I believe that they are going to come after the people that are leftovers from Hussein Obama and they're going to come after him hard and you're going to see people go to jail and stay in jail or worse. I'm glad it's about time. That's what I like. That's what I like. I don't know whether the rest of the song at all. No idea whatsoever. I, every now and then I'll, I'll remember you know, I have a brain injury from a, a fatal car crash. And so, every now and then I'll remember little snippets and, and it may or may not be right, but I'm really convinced it's right. So that's the point. That's really the point here. So today our guest, uh, Elizabeth Letchworth, Chris, she'll be on in a little bit. Now she's referred to as the Washington insider, but I, I like to add to that. I like to add to that because Elizabeth Letchworth, Chris, the honorable Elizabeth Letchworth, Chris, she's the Washington insider dot, dot, dot. That's on our side and our side being the, uh, conservative side she's an amazing amazing person we are in a uh, think tank together and uh we do some other things together and and uh on the political realm and she is an incredible person and she happens to be a very very good friend of our guest last week which how good was that show last wednesday a, a very very good friend uh she um yeah she's jerry is right Jerry happens to be in that think tank with me. She is a think tank all on her own, Elizabeth Letchworth, uh, Christ. She's married to a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, but I have to tell you, you're right, Jerry. She's a think tank all on her own. We saw her work. We were we were uh, with our little group uh, down in Arizona and uh, on election night. And I'm telling you, it was extraordinary. Not this election night, but election night in the past. Extraordinary to watch this woman work. I don't know how she knows what she knows, but she knows way more than I know about probably everything and uh, dear friend and a wonderful person. So we're excited to have her. It's going to be, a, you know, when she's on, that's going to be a power hour. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk frankly about the goings on in our government, the Trump administration, maybe even this could be the most important issue. Uh, grieving. You then know, we're going to cap it off with talking about her book. We may do the book first. Uh, this book is a healing book. I'm telling you, it's just extraordinary. And I'm not selling it for or anything like that. I have a copy um, that I treasure. It stays on my desk all the time. Uh, I've read it many times over. And I'm telling you, it's powerful. And if you you know someone, seriously, if you know someone that is, uh, you know, they've just experienced a loss, or maybe, you know what, maybe they've experienced a loss a year, two years, three years ago, five years, 10 years, 20 years. You know, who knows how long it is. You want to get them on this show uh, because it's very powerful. Uh, you know, grief is a unique emotion because it creeps up on us sometimes. Sometimes we don't even see it coming. You know, I, I've talked to people, you know, being a pastor, I've done lots and lots of funerals and I've held lots and lots of dying people's hands. And I, I do consider it an honor. It's a it's a huge honor to hold the hand of someone as they're leaving this earth and going to, uh, going to heaven. I've also held the hands of people who we don't know for sure they're going to heaven, and that's that's a troubling thing. I've done funerals for, for folks that that renounced God, and, and, and that's nowhere near as much fun as doing a funeral with somebody who claimed the king as father and savior their whole life, or at least part of their life, and you know that there's no more suffering. There's no more pain, but you know, uh, uh, grief can come on real sneaky. It really can And then there's other times it can come on like a two by four in the noggin. Just hit you right square in the middle of the head. And I'm going to say this, you know, as I sit here and think, it's not, it's not just about grief over losing someone. It could be over losing something. It could be over lamenting. Like for instance, I, I grieve myself before my former self uh, before the crash. You know, my life is so totally different now, but I'm, I'm so thankful to be alive. I don't ever want to, I don't ever lead anybody to believe that, that I'm not just incredibly grateful to be alive. That said, I have to say, you know, I, I grieve my former self. I, I do. I grieve my former self. I grieve when I used to be able to do physically just anything I wanted, you know. I could literally spend 12, 12 hours a day, you know, training, shooting um whatever, you know, very, very dynamic and kinetic I I could do it. no problem and I loved it and so many other things like I don't know, tying my own shoes, walking up the steps, one person, one 19 year old person's choice to go hundred and I think it's 109 miles per hour when they hit the median, hit me head on, killed his friend, changed my life forever grieving might not just be for, the loss of someone. It might be the loss of yourself. I I did a sermon. It's actually my most requested sermon now called um, Hunting Dead Lions. Hunting Dead Lions. I tried to find it the other day on my website and I'm going to try to find a a better recording of it, but I realized that recording is not so great. That said, you know, that's the most requested because I deal with people who grieve their past. You know, they did something wrong, really, really wrong. Maybe they made a huge mistake. Maybe they had the opportunity of a lifetime. They let it slip through their fingers. Maybe they maybe they did a great thing, and they've been too afraid to try again. Maybe they did a great thing. They, They, they were star of the football team in high school or college. And then... Everything, they didn't, they didn't just couldn't replicate that, or maybe they're too afraid. But maybe you grieve over a former you that, that uh, had a great job, tough times economically came along. Maybe you had a health issue come along. Maybe you grieve your positivity. Maybe you lost your positive, your ability to look at the positive side of things. And now you just sort for negative, and everything that you see, you grieve that old you. Man, I'm just tired of feeling that way. You know, I talked to somebody the other day who grieves sound sleep. I said, you know, I can I can really empathize with that because I haven't slept hardly at all, restfully, in years. My goodness, how important is sleep? Man, we need sleep. So how in the world are you handling all this grief in your life? Some people have a lot of grief. You know what? It, it, we'll all suffer loss. We will. We'll all suffer loss. We, You don't get through this life unscathed. This is a contact sport, this life. And many of us, you know, and I talk to people, usually it's younger people. But I've actually talked to a couple of 50-year-olds. You know, I'm in my 50s, and and I talked to a couple of those that, that said, you know, I've never really had anybody close to me die. I don't have a lot of experience with grief. And I looked at them, and I said, Yeah haven't yet, but you will. Yeah. Grief hits us out of nowhere. It hits us out of nowhere. And while we think we have a good emotional control normally, maybe we're really solid. All of a sudden it hits us and it spins us all around and we lose the illusion of control. That illusion of control that we thought we had. And you know what I'm telling you, in times like these, you'll be glad you had this book, The Little Blue Book of Grieving. More Than Just Stories, Elizabeth Letchworth. Now I'm telling you, that's powerful. You know what, and, and I mentioned this a minute ago, and I wasn't gonna do this right now, but I, I am gonna do it um, because I feel so compelled to do it. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I was, I was a little, little, and I don't know who knows me now. I mean, I have about a million listeners. I don't know who knows me personally. I know there are several that do, but if you knew me before and you know me after, you know, it's, it's a big difference. Um, well, when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have a, a, a regular, I don't know what we call them now, furnace, uh, you know, HVAC unit. You didn't just go up to the wall and turn a little switch on. <laughs> no, no, no. We only had heat on, on the first floor of our house. And that was in the form of, I think it was three wood stoves, one really super big one, another medium sized one, then a small one. And my father, God rest his soul. i tell you what he was, uh, he had to leave early for work and then we had different small businesses. And, and so when he retired, uh, retired again and then retired again, then finally just did the, the store. Uh, we sold wood stoves and uh, fireplaces. My brother, Randy would build fireplaces. My brother, Lance and Dean, God rest his soul. Uh, and myself, and sometimes Randy would deliver these wood stoves. And some of them were six, seven, eight hundred pounds. I mean, my goodness, brutal, just brutal. These things were so heavy, but, you know, we lived it, we lived that lifestyle. We would go, uh, we would go into the woods and I lived in the middle of a field and there was, you know, farm all around me and then there was the woods, um, <laughs> you know, and then we had lots of other people who owned a lot of land and and they said, yeah, we need to have it cleared out. You know, the government nowadays, I don't know about the Trump government, but the, uh, I bet uh, the Trump government is is gonna be very different. President Trump, I think it'd be very different, but. Uh, in the Hussein Obama administration, you know, you couldn't go uh, cut the, the fallen trees. You couldn't remove them and what and the underbrush and all that stuff. And what it became is tinder. You know, as it dried, it becomes tinder. One lightning strike. You know, that's the majority of forest fires started with one lightning strike. Isn't that amazing? So when you don't cut that out and everybody knows, you know, you got to do that. You got, you got to got to do that. Well, when I was a kid, you know, I was little it was really, really skinny. I was very petite. Um, But, you know, I wanted to be with my dad. And so we would leave very early in the morning, sometimes very, very early in the morning before school. And for a couple of hours, we would cut wood. If my dad found a place, you know, to go, we'd ride in the pickup truck and go out there and he would operate the the power saw, the, the chainsaw. And we would just, we would just find good wood and you know, try to figure out a way to get it over to the truck and then figure out a way to get part of it off the truck. And he fashioned this C clamp thing. And and then we would just slide it off, you know, and a lot of times we would have to cut the wood on the ground, which is the worst thing in the world. Worst thing in the world for a chainsaw. So here I am this little kid and, uh, you know, my dad, big man, six foot five or six, I can't remember, he's like 270 pounds. He's a big guy. You know, when he died, he was 129 pounds cancer ravishes body. But you know, at that time, you know, he had to go to work too. You know, he had stuff to do. I had to go to school. And so we would go out and I'm telling you, it was really something. I I love the smell. I love deer. A lot of times we would see deer different birds and stuff. It was just, it was good. It was cold as anything, but it was good. And when it was hot, it was hot, sweaty and, you know, all that. Well, I was little and I had to drag these logs. You know, my, what my job was is to drag these logs over to my father. And then we would work on uh yeah, BJ, we, you did, you stumbled into Prairie Home Companion. You did. Now I'm telling about my life a little bit here. We got a cool thing to learn about. So, um, you know, it was tough. I mean, I, I really, I didn't have gloves. Um, my father thought it was best that you develop calluses and, and then eventually you'd have better grip and all that stuff. Of course, we now we know now that, that gloves are sometimes very dangerous. And then sometimes it's the right thing to have. So we, w- I would drag those, uh, those, those logs over. And I mean, it was sometimes all I could do. A boy I'd get to that truck and whew, I'd be, I'd be worn out, you know, just worn out. And my dad would get down, you know, from where he was and he would come around and he would lift that thing up. I think it was, a, Weight of a human being, you know, I thought. He lift that thing up, and I know it wasn't good for him. He had a bad back to start with, but he would do it because that's how we heated our house. But it was back-breaking work. I'm telling you, it was the toughest thing I think I've ever done. It prepared me for all the challenges in my life. I mean, any of the physical and mental challenges in my life, that that was great training. Plus, I love being outside, you know, love being outside. But boy, oh boy, do I wish I had a better way to get the logs through the woods or even cut them in place and and carry them smaller, you know, put them on a little cart or something. I don't know. But there's this thing my friends have invented, they've patented it, and it's called the log ox. And I'll tell you what this thing does. Uh, And and look, if you're a self-reliant type, you want to head off into the woods and cut and split your own firewood, you're my kind of peeps. But you know what? Maybe Maybe you just have a little auxiliary stove or something. You just like your wife, or whatever your kids like to have a little fire in there. And it's always nice. It smells good. It's just neat. It's it's staying in contact. Well, if you're going to do that at any level, I'll tell you what you need. You need this tool. And it's like I said, it's called the Logox. It's it makes everything faster and safer and easier. My friends invented this thing. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it because I know a lot of people are, uh, they're really in thick with the cutting of the wood. And you really have to cut wood all summer long too. So it's not a just wintertime. Listen, if you wait till winter, cut your wood, you're going to be cold. You're going to have cold, cold family members. So this three-in-one forestry tool, uh, it's made right here in America, every part of it. American me. I love it. And there's this thing. We never had one when I was a kid. It's called a pulp hook. My dad thought it was, it was more dangerous to use a pulp hook than it was just to grab it and drag it and, you know, lift with your legs and, you know, just rough it. He did. He thought it was, you know, it's a dangerous tool. The pulp hook is a dangerous tool. So what this LogOx does is it helps you pick up, I mean, stove length size logs, no problem. Let's say they're laying flat on the forest floor. No problem. You pick them right up. You don't even have to bend over. Because, like I said, my dad had a, a bad back, and I'm telling you, this didn't this didn't help it. But I'll tell you something else too. John Roberts, he's he's a he has a degree and a background in chemical engineering. He lives in Vermont. They, his family, uh, Lynn and 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 uh, his children. Uh, I won't say their names because of what what the one does. But um, they all listen. I don't I don't think their daughter listens, but. Um, long time southern vermont resident and they use wood like it's going of style my friend lynn manages the sales and marketing of this company i mean it's it's small business and uh so she just went to this uh, one of these fairs you ever see these they're pretty fun to go to uh my buddy jerry and i just went to a gun show i guess you would call that a a gun fair you know the gun people might not like that but i like it and uh, six six tools, they sold just at, at two of these little fairs, they sold six of the tools and a complete logoc set. And, and it's, it's very reasonably priced, and it's in some stores, but you can also order it. So I said it was American-made, so she just told me, my friend Lynn, also a great patriot, uh, Swisher Acquisition, Warrensburg, Missouri. Uh, that's where the steel is made, and then the handle's made in Maine. All American-made. I love that. I love that. You know, I want to tell you something, these are Patriots too. And, and the thing is that I don't like when you buy stuff from somewhere else and you buy stuff from people, you don't know who they are. You don't know what they stand for. Like I'm never, I'll never buy another cup of Starbucks coffee as long as I live. I'm telling you right now, I will not do it. Not as long as I live. No way. I will never buy another product from Starbucks. Guy hates America. I'll never buy anything from Macy's. Now, Macy's and Nordstrom's isn't going to lose a whole lot of money for me because you know what? I don't buy very much from them anyway because <laughs> they're in malls. They put them in malls. And what do I want with something you're going to immediately walk into the building and you're going to pay 28% more than you would uh, if you ordered it online or or, or from another place that's, that's not centered in a mall. Malls are expensive. Plus, I don't like them. So this Logox three-in-one complete set, it comes with two accessories, what it does is it converts this log ox hauler into a full cant hook. so what you do with that is you roll bigger logs and then it has a it has a, a timber jack for lifting the smaller dam and what that does it lifts the smaller diameter logs right up off the ground so then you can cut it you don't put your uh, chainsaw in the dirt nobody wants that I'm telling you to ruin your chainsaw And look if, if you don't take care of your equipment it's, it's like, like like an airplane if you don't take care of your aircraft, Gotta be all right. We need it all change. Whatever. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. You're gonna be up in the air, five thousand feet, ten thousand feet, twenty thousand feet, and all of a sudden, uh oh, whoopsie. <laughs> My buddy BJ buys mall clothes at Goodwill. Smart thinking, brother. You got a you got a uh, a good way to approach that. I like that. So this timber jacket lifts the logs up off the ground. It doesn't ruin your, your saw. And I'm telling you, both of these tools, they are going to help your chainsaw because if wood is at the right height, you're going to cut better first time. You're not going to have a bunch of recuts and, and just waste a lot of wood. You're not going to bang into some stuff. You know, it's just better. When you make those final cuts, that's what you do. And look, if you can cut better, I'm telling you from a guy who, who lived it, if you can cut better that first time, the splitting part of it, whether you do it with an ax or you do it with a splitter, I'm telling you, it is absolutely amazing. Hey, there's a place. Let me just tell you this while I'm thinking of it. We mentioned Goodwill. My buddy, Jerry, this guy doesn't know what retired means. He was an executive at a, at DuPont Company. And now he runs a um, an amazing, uh, amazing place called Community Hope Marketplace in Newark, Delaware. Uh, Community Hope Marketplace. That's where you buy stuff, new stuff. Uh, from like Costco, BJ's and all those places. And you, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it, it, you buy some amazing stuff and I think it's about 40% off. It's its really crazy. So it's in Newark, Delaware. And uh, you can look that up if you want. And uh, if you're in the area, come see us. It's awesome. So th- I, I, I mentioned that this is an all-American made product, but it's also a lifetime warranty product. And I'll tell you, when you get it, when you get this product, I'm telling you, you're going to wonder where it's been your whole life. There's, there's this thing, you know, my dear friends, um, who I, I just adore them. They're amazing people. But today, now this is just for the listening audience. When you visit thelogox.com T H E L O G O X.com thelogox.com really, really cool. You go there, and then you put in this is an introductory offer code the Ninja Pastor. Now it doesn't matter if it's uppercase or lowercase. At the checkout, you put that the Ninja Pastor in, you're gonna get 25% off your purchase of this logox three in one complete set. I'm telling you, you're gonna be glad you did Next time you're out working in the woods, you're gonna be thanking me and you're gonna be thanking them. So once again, just go visit the or write it down. End of the show. Good luck. if you're on two different devices, you can do it now. Use the promo code the Ninja Pastor 25. Dollars off the complete set—that's nuts. So there, there are new partners, and uh, and I'm really excited about it. I want to help them as much as I possibly can. They're good, good people, good, good people, great people. Um, and their son, who I happen to think the world of, served our country honorably as a Special Forces uh, Army Ranger, and uh, just top notch. Top-notch guy. So it's so it's also a, veteran, a veteran-owned a veteran company, too. A veteran-owned, veteran-owned. That's, that's cool, too. I didn't even think about that. So Christians are more violent than Muslims, according to Democrats. Did you know that? Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Christians are more violent than Muslims. This is what the left says. This is what progressives say. I know what you say about it, but I'm saying that's what they say. I didn't say it. They say it. Well, I did say it, but I'm repeating them. Doing the air quotes. Ah, man, good cold water. Now, I have my tea over here ready. Just, it's got to cool down some. It's, it's hot. Drinking cold water and then I'll have the hot tea. So, according to a new CBS poll, only one in seven Democrats believe that Islam is more violent than Christianity. Now, in sharp contrast, six in ten Republicans believe that Islam is more violent. Now, this poll asked, uh, or article asked, so are Democrats delusional? Now, this is CBS poll. Are Democrats delusional? Well, look, I've said it many, many times. The short answer is yes. By the way, I've been trying to get uh, John Marinos running for District 10 State Senate in the state of Delaware to uh, come on my show. And I don't know why he hasn't. I invited him last time he ran, and he's running again this time. I just don't know. Uh, I don't understand it. Um, But I'd love for him to be on. The 25th is it. You know, that's, that's just bottom line. That's it. And he almost won last time. He did. He almost won. You know, if he wins this time for the first time, I think in 40 years, Delaware will be a majority Republican state. Now, if you know Delaware, Delaware, except for Western Sussex County, there's only three counties, except for Western Sussex. It's, it's, it's hardcore leftist. The problem is, you know how it is. You got Democrats, which by the way, the uh, outgoing governor and the incoming governor, they both think the same thing. They want Delaware to be a sanctuary state and they want to be the first sanctuary state. That's what they want. That's what they believe. So, We've got to get John Marino in there. Again, I don't know why he's not coming on the show. He likes to say he's busy knocking doors, but you can talk to almost a million people at one time, many of whom know people in Delaware or are people in Delaware. I think it it just makes sense. Talk to as many as you can at one time. That said, to say, Arc and I'm gonna, you know, you've heard me say this. I I'm just quoting uh, Ann Coulter, but I really believe liberalism is a, is a, a mental disease. I do. I believe it's a mental disease Um, and and I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not, not even a little bit. I'm not trying to be offensive. I just think they've got a mental problem And, and, and it would be offensive if, if I didn't approach it from that standpoint, if somebody shouldn't run with scissors, you tell them don't run for scissors only people in Senate district 10 can vote for John. But see, here's the thing. It's just a logic issue. Um, I don't know about you, but I think it's absurd that the left thinks the majority in the left think that Christianity is more dangerous than Islam. If we just take that one issue, that one issue, and we say, look, this is how it is. This is just, we're only going to decide. Are Democrats uh, off the rockers or are they not? This one thing, are Christians more violent than Muslims? got to tell you, you got to decide every time, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100, 1,000 times out of 1,000, a million times out of a million. Just on this one issue alone, you've got to decide that they are absurd to think that, that the left is absurd to think of, yet it's a topic of debate. People... People have discussions on this like it's something you should discuss. Any human being capable of any level of common sense should absolutely be able to discern the stark difference between the two monotheistic faiths. Now, the article goes on to say here are seven facts disproving this stupidity. You've got the culture of death in Islam. You've got the culture of life in Christianity. Now, that's something, you know, my buddy Jerry and I talk about. I talk about it in my speeches all over the country. And, uh, it, and it's fact. It's a culture of death versus a, a, a culture of life. And let me let me also say Islam uh, is not a religion. It is a religious, political, and military ideology. That's exactly what it is. And here's the first thing, first of seven. Islamic countries and Muslim-majority countries are far more violent and intolerant than any of the two Christian countries on earth, or better yet, any of the Christian-majority countries at all. Liberals love to point out the difference between Islamic theocratic states where Sharia law is institutionalized. You know, we're talking about Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, semi-Islamic countries with Muslim majorities. Now, now I would say this, that now Turkey with Erdogan is really a Muslim majority. Indonesia, largest Muslim. My buddy uh, Beej just got back from there. I think it was Indonesia. Uh, I mean, hugely Muslim. Now, both, both models are objectively horrible places to live. You're, you're semi-Islamic and you're you're full-on Islamic. If, if you live there, it's a horrible place to live. Let's, let's be honest. I've been to many of these countries many times, and and I can tell you it's a horrible place. I don't care what cultural, rele- uh, you, know, you know people like this. Well, it's their culture. Really cutting off heads, cutting off hands, stoning women for not having their face covered enough or having their ankle show. That's relativism. And these overzealous sociology professors, they say, oh, well, you have to let them have their culture. There's a reason why hordes of Muslim refugees are trying to pour into the West. In Syria, for example, the religious sectarian warfare left nothing but pools of blood, nothing. Syria is absolutely no longer a functioning state at all. Iran, where Shia Islam reigns supreme, religious minorities are purged. They, they, they snatch these people out of their homes, out of their cars, out of their businesses, They snatch them and they disappear. Women are treated like prostitutes and then they're killed. They're second class citizens too. They're not, look, homosexuals are hung from cranes thrown off roofs. In Saudi Arabia, and I say this in in speeches if I speak at a college, and it blows my mind. By the way, uh, uh, Indonesia is the largest Muslim populated country in the world. Absolutely. Thank you, BJ. But in Saudi Arabia, women aren't even allowed to drive or leave the house. If they don't have a male guardian, they can't go. Yet when they have this, what is it, vagina march or whatever, I, what was the name of that thing, man? I don't think anybody really knows what their name was. This big march they do is disgusting. Linda Sarsour, advocate of Islam, and uh, she's Muslim, ties to Muslim Brotherhood. Full-on Sharia. She's arguing for Sharia. These people are walking around in vagina outfits. One woman, uh, I have a picture of this on my website. Uh, My legs are spread for refugees. Literally said that. You don't think that's crazy? I think that's absolutely insane. So here's number two. Islamic religious apologists are selectively blind to the macabre history of Islam. And boy, aren't they? They don't want to know. They don't want the truth. They don't want to know. People say, "Man, I wish you would preach about positive things." Now I do preach about positive things. That's silly. That's silly. I preach about lots of positive things all the time. But do you want me to not tell you the truth? Do you not want? Do you not want to know what will kill you? These people will kill you. That's that's what they live for. They wake up every day and they pray their five prayers. You know, they stop what they're doing. And they they you know turn and pray they're praying for the opportunity to kill you. Here's number two, Islamic religious apologists are selectively blind to the macabre history of Islam. Now, as I said, I've been to these countries and I've seen it happen straight up. Look, look, Islam, if you, if you understand the religious political and and military ideology of Islam, you understand that, this is well documented, including their own Quran, their own Um Al Salik, or Reliance of the Traveler. Both available free on the internet. Don't don't buy one. Just download them. Now, Um Al Salik is is a long read. It's thirteen hundred and forty five pages long. But it's it's explaining Islam and the Quran and the other readings and explaining what they mean for Muslims, written by Muslims for Muslims. Centuries ago. Academic, historical, and scriptural accounts of the religion's development, and I call it a religion here because I'm quoting the article, but it's a religious, political, and military ideology, all attest to the fact that Islam was indeed founded upon tribal schisms and bloodshed. Now, what this means and what I mean by that, when I tell people, look, this guy was going along, Muhammad, going along with his uncle, weird uncle, weird uncle, going along, traveling through, he comes in and to a place and maybe they're a christian well then maybe the next people are one other faith and then the next one they're another faith and so they take bits and pieces this is this is, is this is muhammad bits and pieces oh i like that oh i like this or something will happen in this life. it's like this hey man i gotta you know i want multiple wives these people over here have multiple wives i'm gonna do that oh i i uh i want to be able to cut somebody's head off if they speak out against my religion how don't gonna do that The primary driver of violence in the Middle East today is Sunni Shiite sectarian violence. Bottom line, there's two types, Sunni and Shiite. They fight all the time. They've been fighting for thousands of years. They're going to keep fighting. They're never going to stop. This is sectarian violence, the sect of Sunni versus the sect of Shiite. A conflict stemming from the early days of Islam when warring factions quarreled over the rules of secession following the death of Muhammad. They fought and they fought and they fought. And so they said, all right, that's it. I'm out. As leftist apologists are very quick to point out, ISIS's main victims are other Muslims. What they deliberately leave out, though, is the fact that ISIS is a Sunni Salafist organization that targets non-Sunnis, including Shiites, Yazidi Christians, Kurds, apostates, and anyone else they consider outsider to the framework of Muhammad's carefully articulated framework of the Islamic piety. ISIS assaults are highly calculated. They're vindictive, they attack targets that have sought out revenge against Sunnis in the past, like Iraqi Shiites or Westerners have dared question or criticize Muhammad. Now here's here's the thing. You gotta understand this. A lot of times people who are poorly informed will, will scream, Yeah, but Sean, your you ninja pastor. Um I was on your the ninja pastor.com or your greener.com or your at the ninja pastor on Twitter, and I and I I was and I heard one of your speeches and you show. And I have to tell you, you know, you just need to study more because, you know, I've got to tell you, more Muslims are killed by this radical, isolated, very small amount of uh, radicalized, you know, and they self radicalize on the Internet. That's why you got to shut that Internet, got to give that control to the liberals because they get on that darn Internet. And I'll tell you, just like those kids playing those darn video games. To get on that and then boom what do you know and because we're over there and we're bothering with them you know and you got your britney spears without her underpants and you got all that and your your crazy music and your alcohol and all and then look boom they suddenly become uh, radicalized and then they want to kill everybody because you're mad so it's mostly muslims who can kill that's why it's not a muslim thing look folks Read the Umdat al-Salik, the Reliance of the Travel. Read the Quran. They are not victims. They're not viewed as victims. Muslims are not viewed as victims. If they blow up a school, which they don't really have too many of, but if they did blow up a school and there's Muslims in there that die, especially Muslim children, they're not victims. They're in the cause. They're jihadists. That's the highest form of death. I mean, that's the biggest, best way to die in Islam. So they don't, they don't view them. You know, they refer to them as the innocents. Well, they're not the innocents. They're, if you die in jihad, you are a jihadist. So are we understanding that? I've said it a bunch of times. I, I, I don't know how many more times i got to say it. but So a far larger percentage of Muslims are biblical literal literalists compared to Christians. Now, I want you to understand, when you read a 7th century text, that's literally and profoundly, when you read it literally, it's profoundly dangerous. According to the recent Pew Research Center poll, uh, they highlighted this in the Daily Caller, which I think this is the original origin of this of this article. A significant portion of Arab Muslims endorse Sharia law as the ideal legal code for society, favor harsh punishments, punishments for non-believers that violate the tenets of Islam. Now, let me give you some numbers. 86% of Muslims in Pakistan, 84% in Afghanistan, 81% in the Palestinian territories. 80% in Egypt, 65% in Jordan, 57% in Iraq, 54% in Malaysia, and Bangladesh favor stoning as a lethal punishment for adultery. All of those countries favor stoning. Now, I don't mean you get stoned till you die. I don't mean you get baked until you die. I mean, they bury you in the ground, up to your shoulders, your arms are down, and they have all the little kids gather up as many rocks as they can, and then the big crowd comes, and they you know, get in an almost sexual furor, demonic furor, and they start throwing rocks at your head until you die, and it isn't a quick death. I've seen it. I've seen it. A majority of Muslims in several countries also support the death penalty for Muslims who convert away from Islam. As soon as you do that, they they want you dead. Now, this is Afghanistan is 79%. Egypt is 88%. Pakistan is 75%. The Palestinian territory, 62%. Jordan, 83%. And Malaysia, 58%. This is what they're saying. They're saying, hey, you want to opt for a different religion, or maybe you just don't want to be so harsh in this religion. Because when you become an apostate, you become an apostate if you're not Muslim enough. They'll kill you for not being a Muslim, and they'll kill you for not being a Muslim enough. It's not me talking out my butt, folks. That's reality. It's fact. Currently, this is number four. Currently, Islam treats Jews far worse than Christianity does. Now, the whole the whole deal here, let me just remind you, the whole deal here is Christians, this is what the left thinks. Christians are more violent than Muslims, according to these Democrats. It's what they think. I'm just telling you. I don't kill the messenger. Currently, Islam treats Jews far worse than Christianity does. How a majority religion treats the Jews is in fact a litmus test for its level of civility. I don't know why we would ever consider being civil to the religious religious, political, and military ideology of Islam. I don't know why we would. They've never been civil a moment in their in, in their history. Without a doubt, Christianity does indeed have a sort of sordid of past, especially when it comes to the way Christendom treated its minority Jewish population, no doubt. From the crusades to the spanish inquisition christian majority states and christian religious authorities including those residing in the vatican have issued edict after edict condemning jews to burn at the stake now this is a fact you know uh, a lot of the great heroes uh of the christian you know reform and all that stuff were were virulent anti-semitics the jews were blamed for the death of christ deicide a charge that led to the mass murder of jewish people generation after generation centuries after the time of christ and look you can't erase history and it's important to acknowledge the fact that christianity as an institution and faith has made tremendous progress since the medieval era the rise of nation states made possible by the enlightenment's light of rationalism and the reformation's challenge to the rigid ecclesiastical order has opened the gateway to new modes of thinking and the respect we, got, You know, look, it, respect the rights of religious minorities while still preserving the rituals and traditions of the past. Now, Islam, on the other hand, the religious, political, and military ideology of Islam, they still haven't addressed the Jewish problem, that's what they call it, without the sword. Imams and mullahs all across the Islamic world continue to call for the blood of the Jews, the annihilation of the Jewish people. Jewish people, when they reject the Prophet Muhammad, it still haunts the Muslim world, Collective memory—it offers an excuse for genocidal rhetoric. This is Hamas here. Look at what they do; it's what they're all about. The majority, and this is according to Pew, of anti-Semitic attacks against Jews are initiated by members of the Muslim immigrant population. It, now, this is—and I, I said this in my uh, in my sermon on Sunday—and and, and uh, I don't like to do a whole lot of political stuff in the sermon, but. Look, it's immigration jihad. this They're doing this on purpose. They told us they would do it. This is why Arab countries are not accepting them. Do you understand this? They're not accepting accepting the, uh, the air quotes refugees. Why? When they're asked about it, they say because they could be, they probably are terrorists. We don't want them in our country. Now there's rampant, rampant anti-Semitism in the Arab world particularly in the Palestinian territories while European views toward Jews have become more negative. The deepest anti-Jewish sentiments exist outside of Europe, especially in predominantly Muslim nations, the percentage of Turks, Egyptians, Jordanians, I said lesbians, Lebanese. And well, there's one that said she's going to spread her legs for the, I don't think, look, I don't think, first of all, I saw the picture and I'm just saying, there's not going to be a line. And I, I just don't think she's going to have a lot of takers on that they'll kill her by the way. Now, if they do, they do have sex with a rape, they'll rape her. There'll be hundreds of them. They make sure they kill her after. Otherwise that's the way that they're not defiled. By the way, they kill you. They're good to go. So Turks, Egyptians, Jordanians, Lebanese and Pakistanis with favorable opinion of Jews is still in the single digits. Now you guys remember uh, the draw Muhammad contest. Dude comes down, he's going to kill, you know, let's kill, kill Pamela Gillar and a bunch of other people. He's just trying to kill and he gets shot. He gets killed down in Texas. When, when Yeshua or Jesus is mocked, Christians take to social media. When, 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 you know, they put a cross upside down in a thing of urine and call it a work of art. You know, that's what we do is we're super calm. We're super, you know, oh, it's okay. It's art. Right. We don't want to be too pushy. You know, it'd be wrong. Look, when Muhammad is drawn, even in this gentlest light, Muslims burn down embassies. They slaughter cartoonists in cold blood. Look, the counterculture revolution in the United States of America, they openly embrace the use of satir- satirical attacks against Yeshua or Jesus, the saints, and Christianity writ large. From menstruating Jesus to fat slob Jesus, satirists to have. They haven't even attempted to spare the feelings of Christians. Now, the same can't be said of Muslims. The religious, political, and military ideology of Islam. Take the Charlie Hebdo massacre. Did you watch the film? Look, and I, and I'm not defending Charlie Hebdo at all. They're weirdos. They're anti-Christian. They're anti-Jew, and they they did cartoons. Uh, look, they're stupid. They're just, they, they were stupid. But these people got massacred. That's the way left is. They don't think it'll ever affect them. You know, What's three speaks what am I going to do? So, which, by the way, they they mocked. I want to make sure you understand that. They mock Judaism. They mock Christianity. They still do it. They published a cartoon of Muhammad. You saw the films. The workers were savagely killed by Islamic terrorists who were apparently carrying out the will of Allah, adding insult to injury. Secular Western publications refused to air the images of the cartoon for fear of reprisal. They just said, no, we're not going to do it. Now, the Muslim world seems to think that it's entitled to special treatment. It it doesn't seem to. It does. It seems to think that Muhammad and its holy text, its rituals, are beyond reproach and criticism. No other religion in the modern world guards its image with this level of zeal, fanaticism, and violence. How about number six? How about number six? Six out of seven. The world's being torn apart by Islamic terrorists, man, there's. The thing that I love about this president, President Donald Trump, is he understands. Finally, we have somebody in there that understands. The world is, in fact, being torn apart by Islamic terrorists. There is a handful of powerless KKK members in the United States who purport to be defending Christianity. This is what they say. This is what they say. Oh, we're defending Christianity, our own kind. Look, this analogy is stupid. And yet we allow the left to make this comparison all the time. Oh, you got your Christians, you're a bunch of KKK. First of all, KKK was a a Democrat organization, still is today. But the left, they love making this, they love connecting. It's just like they love to call people Hitler. Hitler was a socialist. He was one of them. So let's break it down here, just for the sake of argument. In Syria alone, there are dozens and dozens of Islamic terrorist groups eager to carve out Sharia-observing territories. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas, Hezbollah, they've all become household names throughout the world. Now, the harsh reality is that these groups are functioning on the basis of the Hadith and the Quran. There's a reason why ISIS spares boys under 12, enslaves women, and slaughters the men. That's what the early armies of Muhammad did to the Jewish tribe of Banu Khuraza. ISIS, in particular, cites Quranic scripture every turn. Follows the prescriptions of the Hadith meticulously. And it encourages absolute devotion to Allah, promising its fighters paradise and virgins when they die, glorious deaths as martyrs. Well, then there's the KKK. The left loves to compare. They call the KKK the Christian. Well, these are Christians, a white supremacist group that burns crosses. Now, first of all, the KKK hardly has power in the 21st century. Listen, they're more of a boogeyman. They're weaponized by the left to demonize conservatives. We ought to. We ought to just. Look at them and say, we're no more KKK than a man on the moon. More importantly, this group, the KKK, it's not Christian. Yeshua both as a historic figure and a biblical figure, largely powerless from a political perspective. He didn't command an army the way Muhammad did. He didn't conquer territory. He didn't kill people for refusing to convert. He didn't engage in diplomacy or war. So what model is the KKK following? What are they following? Which Yeshua do they cite when they carry out their atrocities? Now, here's the bottom line. The KKK's actions hardly guided by principles or verses written in Christian holy texts. They're a racial group, nothing more. Remember, they wear these large crosses, even without attempting to understand theology. Now, here's the seventh one. Islam has never had a reformation. Never had a reformation. Christianity has. As I just said, You've got the Enlightenment, Reformation, the Enlightenment and the Reformation led by Martin Luther fundamentally alter, altered the way Christians interacted with their faith. For the most part, Christianity is not seen as a political ideology. The concept of separation of church and state underpins the, the modern West. Now, it's nowhere in our constitution, just so you know. It says we're not going to force a state religion on you, we're not going to tell you how you worship. You know, we're not going to get involved in that. You know. Thomas Jefferson, you know, told the Baptist Association there, hey, look, you know, we're not going to, don't worry, we're not going to force Anglicanism on you. The Anglican church is not going to be forced on you. No, you can practice whatever religion you want. Now, in the medieval area, uh, religion was front and center in the public square. Today's Christianity, it's practiced in private. Now, Islam, on the other hand, the religious, political and, and, and military ideology of Islam, it still continues to be public faith. It's all about out in public. No major school of Islamic theology has worked to separate the private from the public. They have their madrasas. There's one in there's several in Delaware, but there's one big one in Newark. They want to keep it private. They don't want you hearing what they're saying. Islam, according to the ulama, is a totalian, totalitarian ideology, commands all aspects of life including governance, sex, economics, and dietary practice. Let me just tell you, the part that has to do with governance and economics, they could never serve as a politician in the United States, unlike the London mayor, Muslim, first Muslim mayor of a major city in Europe. They shouldn't be in the military. They can't. The whole idea of governance and our constitution is antithetical to what they believe. So that's how they are. Sex, economics, dietary practice, all that stuff. Now, look, there have been some fringe movements, such as the Sufis, They've attempted to privilege the spiritual over the political. The majority of Muslims, particularly in the clerical class, they've rejected any form of reform, any attempt. In fact, the ulama have weaponized the concept of apostasy to prevent people from leaving the faith or even exploring non-literalist interpretations of the religious text. The ulama believes that the Quran is infallible and inerrant. You change a single letter to change the literal word of Allah. And you're to be killed that's a fact I don't you know look I used to say I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but if hurting your feelings is what helps you understand the truth then folks I got to hurt your feelings they're not your buddies they're not your friends that's not what they're about don't be silly Don't be silly. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. To delude oneself against what the truth is of Islam is is to open yourself for death. It's to open yourself for death. It's to open yourself to torture. Now that's a fact. Look, I wish that it was different. I do. I wish that it was different. I wish that it wasn't the way that it is, but it is that way. We can't deal with how we want it to be. We've got to deal with how it is. And they are, in fact, our enemy. I don't care where they are. They are, in fact, our enemy. Now, one thing I know, you can protect your home if you want to. If you want to, you can protect your home. But you got to be prepared. you got to be equipped. Here's how.
0: be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages.
1: Hey listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes in your smartphone and and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry. I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted, even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. So you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips. The moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull a trigger, no matter where you are in the United States, you just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be the second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a public, a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. SecondCallDefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20630. That's a Ninja Pastor's number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up, you know, you know sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show but there's links on there once you do that or on that page there's a link there and that will show you exactly where to go you click on that link go get all kinds of information there are no contracts you're not locked in and once you get your money back your free uh, month back they they never come back and take it back this is the best coverage out there trust me
0: I've researched it all join today welcome back to the collision of faith and politics here again is dr sean
1: welcome back can you hear me can anybody hear can anybody hear me yeah hey um I just want to say real quick, I've gotten a lot of questions about the Logox. Thank you for sending your questions. Look, this is what I want you to do. Um, It's it's awesome. It's all America made, lifetime guaranteed. If you cut wood in any way, shape or form, I'm telling you, this is the thing for you. You've got to have this thing. I wish I'd had it when I was a kid, I'm telling you right now. Um, So what you do is you go to thelogox.com, thelogox.com, what you do. Is when when you come to checkout, if you buy this three in one complete set, you buy the whole set. It's not very expensive, I'm telling you. You're going to get 25 percent off the complete set. That's awesome, great deal made into an even greater deal. So if you cut wood, uh, for any reason you need this thing, you need this thing. I wish I'd have had it. So thank you so much. By the way, Logox.com is the name. Second Call Defense is the other one. If you call them, uh, some people are asking me, I don't want to. I don't want to do the uh, the internet. Uh, Just call 877-502-3300. Now, you want to write this down because you're going to get a free month. 877-502-3300. Then you want to give them this number, 20630. That's what you want to give them. You want to give them that. So, that's what you want. You want to do those two things. Those are important. Protect your back, protect your home. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. So listen, folks, here's here's another thing I think is important. Um, our guest that's coming up, she's she's in the middle of one meeting. I think she's running the meeting. She's going to rush from that meeting to do the interview with us. But I want to uh, chat with you a minute about, on Sunday, I, I talked about love. And it was called, What is True Love? Three True Loves. Hashtag Three True Loves. Love, capital L-O-V-E. Love, just regular L-O-V-E and then love L-U-V because it was Valentine's Day you understand that's why I did that so the world defines love in such a a, a weird way really Um, and and so in that message I redefined there's no commercials by the way Um, we redefined it and and that's sad that we did that so I I want you to listen to that message I'm gonna have the second half but but I want to say this this Sunday we are going to have a very special service. It's going to be really, really unique. Um, it, Ray Siemens is a uh, musician's musician. He's very, very good. Um, he has albums, and I don't think I don't know if they're out CDs. Um, you can download his music, everything. But he's so pro-veteran, um, just so pro-veteran. And he has this thing called Troubadour Ministries, and he's raising money. Uh, to he's selling this CD to raise money and, and asking people to give money to this uh, help veterans who are homeless and need help, you know. All this money, we seem to have no problem giving money to all these people aren't even from this country. They never want to be a part of our country. They just want to take us over and take our stuff. And yet veterans are wandering around. They don't have a place to live. It doesn't make sense. So he's, instead of saying, you know, somebody needs to do something about that, he's doing it. This Sunday, I'm telling you, this Sunday, the ninja pastor, as his, as his guest, on Sunday Live, now, by the way, this is Newark, Delaware. So if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, even New York area, you need to think about coming to this. Seriously. Well, lady, you just come from D.C., just below D.C. So it, it's not impossible. And and, uh, and But this one, boy, this is going to be neat. You're going to hear him play live cuts off his album. You're also going to hear him play a song that is really, really powerful. It's, it's a heart wrencher. I'm telling you, you we'll have tissues all around. Uh, We eat at five. We share a meal at five. And look, if you're a visitor, you don't bring anything. You don't have to bring anything if if you're not a visitor. But it's fun. I mean, we have a lot of fun. It's real low key for 30 minutes. And then we go live at 530. And then Ray uh, is going to be on the show. And I'm telling you, it's going to it's going to touch you big time. It's really going to touch you big time. It's so worth being there for that. And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited. So you're going to see an announcement probably tomorrow. Uh, and then you'll have links and all that stuff. But if you're in the Newark, uh, Delaware area, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, um, you really need to think about coming to hear this live. And uh, you know, get a hold of me through the website, and we'll get you the address. And it's right in Newark. Very easy. We, you know, it's it's a beautiful place that we meet. Uh, very comfortable, very warm, and um, just very very comfortable. You 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 won't you couldn't find a better group of people. I'm telling you, you just couldn't. So folks. We are so blessed. I'm telling you, I say this a lot. And it's funny because last week, uh, the Honorable Elizabeth Letchworth-Christ, she was supposed to be here with us, but she had an emergency come up kind of last minute. And and so she went and handled it because that's what she does. She handles her business. But she is the author uh, of the little blue book of grieving more than just stories. And she is the Washington insider on our side. And that's what's powerful. She's on the side of truth and conservatism. Uh, she is a woman of great great faith and folks i want you to make welcome the honorable elizabeth letchworth christ welcome
2: hey sean this is amazing i feel like an old friend that hasn't talked for a while how are you even though we did talk recently it's been a while since i've been on your show and i apologize i love doing it we may need to make a point to do it more often i'm excited and you know what thank you for giving me the opportunity to to tell people about DC, tell them what's going on, but also talk talk the talk of the book a little bit. That's sweet. Thank you. I didn't expect that. That's an added bonus.
1: Well, you're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. By the way, I want to clarify something about the logox promotion. It's it's $25 off, not 25%. The three in one set. It's $25 off. If you mention the Ninja Pastor, you use that code at logox.com. You get $25 off, not 25%. I messed that up. And you buy the three in one set, you're good to go. Um, makes the great price even better. All American-made. American, made, uh, American um, entrepreneurs. Just, it's an ingenious thing. I'm telling you. So, Elizabeth, I have to tell you, we're uh, we have uh, so far a couple of shows in a row, up over a million listeners uh, in the course of a five-day Whoa. period. Yeah, we're Good we're really you, excited. About I'm happy. I'm
2: so happy for you.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, you've been a big part of that. You and Andrea encouraged me so much, and my. Great friend uh, Jerry from Pennsylvania encouraged me and Jerry I still have a book right behind me that Jerry gave me a book very very old book uh, but still very pertinent on broadcasting you know I have nothing to do with ra- I don't even know anything about radio and uh, but Jerry helped me out a lot and people like you and and Andrea King and I, I don't know if you heard anything about last week's show but boy Andrea knocked it out of the park it was I absolutely did, I you know. did. She's it was amazing. really impressive.
2: she's amazing. I know, and the, all that she can keep up with is amazing. Not I don't know how she stuff, does it. But, right, and but I mean, give you the pertinent facts, it's just, just the facts, remember that from Sergeant Friday or whatever that show was? No, yep. she's great at it, but you know what, keep you entertained, keep you on your toes. I love doing her show, you know, I do her show on Wednesday night, um, trying to, again, do a lot of what we're gonna do here today, Sean, which is, Let people know that, you know, We, we, I say this all the time, we live in the greatest representative government in the world. We do. We have the greatest representative government. But it only works if we kind of know what's going on. And I love being able to tell people what's going on. And I love the opportunity that you give us the opportunity.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. It's uh, Look, you know, people ask me all the time, where can I get my information? Where can I get my information? I don't know where to go. It seems like fake news is everywhere. I just... I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And and so I always tell people, look, there's several places you can go, but but you can't go wrong with Andrea Shea King or Dave Perkins or the Honorable Elizabeth Letchworth Christ. I mean, there are just so many good people. And our good friend Kevin Jackson, he was actually on the uh, – what was that? Sh- What's that show? Uh, one lucky guy. Hashtag one lucky guy. The. Uh,
2: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The The noon show. Very cool.
1: Yeah. The noon show on Fox. He did a great job with the ladies there. He was really awesome. And uh, so it's good to have him. I'm so, so honored to have the friends that I have. And and I still remember the trip we took. Uh, Jerry and I uh, came down uh, to I don't remember what election that oh, was. Yeah. But boy, I'll tell you what, he and I watched you work and watched, you know, everybody there, Debbie and. Andrea and just everybody was just working you know, and all this information is just flying out of you. And I'm like, do these people have notes hidden somewhere? Because how do they know all yeah, this stuff? And I you're know. one of those people. You're one of those people. Well, I one think what, I that was a fun about. time. It was, it was so fun. That we have to a, do it again.
2: It was election night and it was things were hopping and the outcome was good. So that always makes the night even better.
1: That's what we like. That's what we like. So you wrote an amazing book. I just want to talk real quickly about this book. Um I was privileged when you asked me to write, uh, write a review or, or just a, a back flap piece for it. And I was so touched by it uh, to be honored with that. And uh, your book is published by Westbow and it's the little blue book of grieving more than just stories. Now, folks, I want to tell you, if you go over to my website, uh, drshawngreener.com or the and you go to the post, it's titled special guest, Elizabeth Letchworth Christ. And if you go to that, uh, and you scroll down, you'll see in the um, you'll, you'll see links to the book. So oh, uh, you, walking inside thank on you, our Sean, side. Very much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It needs to be in everybody's hands because everyone, as I talked about at the outset of the show, everybody has somebody if they haven't yet yeah. suffered loss. And I, and I talked about it this way. I said, you know, it's not just, you know, a, a spouse died because these principles will help you deal with grief, grief over a number of things. Um mm-hmm, and uh mm-hmm. and it's it's very powerful. I, I was really honored to read it. I remember the day it arrived in the mail with your with your gracious um you know, you endorsed the book and the front page and signed it for me. And I tell you, I really was honored by that. But I have to say I read the book in one day. And uh yeah. and it's oh an are, easy are, are, read. Find? It's
2: designed oh, to it's me. yeah, it's designed to be easy.
1: Now, if you're an audiobook person, uh I tell you you're in for a treat. Last week, Andrea yeah, J. you King are. Me I'm too. glad
2: you mentioned that. I'm glad you're going there because I was going to do it. Yeah, if you are. First an of all, I don't understand
1: uh, what can't this woman do? What can't she do?
2: I hear it's you. It's crazy. Well, she's about to be an MC at a big gala. I'm about to put on too, so she can do it awesome. all. But I'm going to let you go ahead and, and and do the do the plug because it's neat.
1: Well, see, that's the thing. If you're an audiobook person, which I'm, I'm really, I drive a lot, uh, or Sometimes I can't read. I know that's crazy to people, Um, but sometimes I can't read because of the damage that happened to me Um, in the crash. I I can't read. I can't make out the letters and, you know, I have real terrible headaches, so I can't read. But what I like to do is on times like that, I like to have audiobooks. The audiobooks for me, I just put in my headphones and I lay back and I just listen and enjoy. And this is an audiobook. If If you get the audiobook version, I'd actually... I kind of recommend you get the print or Kindle and audiobook version. And the reason I do this is because I have to tell you, um, sometimes you got to have the print and sometimes you want to write things in there, you know, take notes in the margin in between spots because you're going to give this book to somebody. Uh, You're going to hand it to them. You're going to say, Hey, look, I know you're struggling. I know you're struggling or Hey, our, our dear friend, I know you see them more than I do, but I know that, you know, they lost so-and-so or they had a, You know really tough thing happen and and i think you know put this book in their hands sometimes that's easier than to say hey here's a link to an audiobook and i know they can Mm -hmm. gift it can be gifted but sometimes you give them that physical thing they're going to go wow this person look what they did for me and they'll listen and Mm -hmm. and it'll bless their heart there's there's a couple of things before we get into the political uh conversation that i um that i want to i just want to i just want to touch on um and, and this is well, let me let me skip ahead because chapter one, um, I love how you you put verses that are pertinent. They're they're uh, directly relative to what's you know, what what's, what's going to happen in, in the uh, in the chapter. The Lord is my shepherd and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, one. Um, and then you go on to talk about experiences you had with Ron, because what drove this book, uh, folks, is Elizabeth was married to a wonderful, wonderful man. Now, praise God, she, um, you know, the, she makes me think the law of attraction really works because um, I have to say she's married to a wonderful, wonderful man and they're doing amazing things together. But but at the time of the writing of this book, she, you know, this her husband, Ron, had passed away. And so each of these chapters kind of relates an event, and I, I want to read something really quickly that you wrote. This really stood out to me. Remember those ocean blue hardcover children's Bible story books that used to be sitting around in the waiting rooms of doctor's offices back in the 70s? You could thumb through them while waiting with your mom or your dad to see the doctor. Maybe you had an earache or a sore throat. I remember being seven or eight years old and reading one of the stories in the Bible storybook about a little child around my age, or at least I thought the child was my age. The child was sick and in the hospital. The child was tired of the endless needles and all of the tests and the illness was taking a toll on the little child's body. In the story, a hospital angel uh, visited the little child very late one night. The child was alone and the angel told about the wonderful world that could be experienced. If you believe in Jesus, And accept him as your savior, the angel went on to say, once you believe, if you want Jesus to enter your life, to penetrate your heart, to take you to a wonderful place called heaven, just raise your hand and God will hear your plea. The little child died the next night, but before death came, the child had rigged a way of using pillows to keep its little hand up in the air. I began crying when I read this story so long ago, my mom saw me crying and thought whatever illness that had brought me to the doctor's office was making me cry. That story has stuck with me over the last 40 plus years. Ever since then, each time I saw those hurting and wanting to feel the comfort of some thing or someone, I wanted them to raise their hand and I cried. When I knew my loved ones were in pain, I wanted to help them raise their hand and I cried. During a recent Christmas church service, our pastor Eddie Fulford said that if anyone wanted the touch of Jesus, wanted to feel him in their heart, to just raise your hand. Wow, there's that hand thing again. During that church service, the love of my life, my best friend and husband, Ron, raised his hand. I cried again like I have so many times before. Only this time my tears were different. I know that God is watching over Ron and all those who accept Jesus as their Savior, while my world has been rocked to the core since losing Ron. I cried then because I knew that my husband would enter heaven before me, and I know that he is sitting at the right hand of God without the pain that plagued him each day of his life. My tears now are for our family children, and grandchildren, who will miss Ron's wise counsel and his love. My tears are for those who will miss Ron and for those who haven't heard or learned about the hand thing. Like the little girl of so long ago, I cry now because I miss my best friend. I miss Ron's laughter, love, and caring that he so freely gave me. But I think when my tears dry, I will turn my broken heart into a way to honor my best friend I will teach and tell others about the hand thing now folks I'm telling you that is a powerful powerful little note and little things like that throughout this book I'm telling you Elizabeth um, I've recommend this book I've purchased this book I've sent the little link you know gift from a friend uh, the people that that are really struggling and I have to tell you, uh, every single person who has read it has said, man, just in time, just in time. Wow. Thank you for writing this book.
2: Sean, you read that beautifully. You know, I, I think we need to tell the audience that Andrea Shea King is the narrator of the audio book. Um, and a friend of ours here locally in Central Florida, is a gentleman that comes by way of New York and is a is a composer wrote two scores for the audio book too. So you get little snippets and little wonderful little vignettes, if you will, or, or, or little parts of, of a score of, of just a sweet, sweet, sweet musical piece, but you have Andrea's voice throughout, but Sean, you got, I, I maybe should have asked you, you were, you did that no. beautifully. I'm sure so she, did. I'm sure so
1: I've, awesome. I've heard little snippets. She's awesome. So I, I, uh, I'm honored she is by awesome. that, but she, is
2: awesome. she has a, she yep. has a
1: great voice. So ultimately, um, when you finish this book, I know when I wrote my book, um, you know, I was in sort of a situation and, and I had to hurry and, and, uh, most of the book was written with my voice because I couldn't read or see the words and I couldn't write. So I had to use my voice. And so I had to kind of remember, you know, different things. But in this book, you know, when I finished my book, I thought, man, am I glad this is over. Um, what 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 was the feeling you had when you finished your book?
2: I wanted to write another one, and I still do and i I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. I'll give your audience a spoiler alert on the second one. I, and here's why I wanted to write another one. I felt like when I was writing it, it lifted me. It gave me strength it and not because my words are all that powerful or that all that in the bag of chips, I don't mean that, but it makes you look introspectively it also makes you study the bible and that's never a bad thing but it also kind of makes you grateful and 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 well grateful is the best word i can say as i finished it i I, something just kept ringing in my head and and part of it comes from having been given flowers multiple times throughout my life for various things i thought about the cards that come with flowers and usually they're Mm -hmm. innocuous to anybody that would read them, but they mean something to the person that's getting them. So I thought about a book that was life on a two by three card and it would be flower cards, cards that are given when you give flowers and they all have a story. In other words, one might say, I love you and wish you the best your father. And that story could be flowers that he gave the daughter. He never knew at a wedding because he wasn't allowed to be in her life because he's in prison or because he's, do you see what I'm saying? Life Mm -hmm. on a two by three card. I guess the, and the, you can, you can do those in an uplifting way because usually flowers are given for an uplifting scenario. Usually I'm not talking about funeral flowers, but I'm talking about birthdays and anniversaries and fun things like that. So anyway, that's what came to mind. Um, I I didn't have that. I'm glad this monkey's off my back. Uh, It inspired me to do it again. Now, that's a long way of saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it again, (laughs) quite frankly. I don't know if I'm ever actually going to do it. I have an outline for that second book, but it, it made me feel like, gosh, that, that made me feel good. I hope it makes others feel good. And when you feel good and you think you're making others feel good, you want to do it again. You want to keep doing it. It makes you feel good. So that was sort of where I left that, um, but you're right, it's, it, it is a story about, there are various stories about my life with my late husband, Ron, and a lot of it's very ordinary, folks. Don't expect extraordinary stories. You know, life isn't in the extraordinary circumstances. They're in the ordinary circumstances that become extraordinary because they're a love moment or a life moment in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what these are about. And it, they were fun They also, quite frankly, helped me deal with the grief of losing him. They were born out of, and I know, Sean, you know this, but I'll tell your listeners, they were born out of a blog. Um, When Ron got, he he had had cancer for 10 years, and it was a long battle, but it wasn't a horrible battle until really the last year. A lot of our family didn't even know he had it until the last year. But in the last year, our family is large, our, our friends group, and I'm, I know all your listeners can relate to this. You've got a lot of friends. you got a lot of family. Oh, my gosh, if you've ever been through any of this, the notification process can be tiring oh. just in itself. And you know this with your accident. I, I, I'm sure Colleen was like, oh, my God, if I have to tell Sean's story one more time. But yet you want to tell people. They bring you joy. They can br- uplift you. But you're, quite frankly, tired. So I created basically sort of a blog, if you will, and it was a giant email list of updates. And because the children were on it, I didn't want it to all be medical and doom and gloom. I just didn't. It was about their dad. I didn't want them to, oh, my gosh, here's another one about daddy. Is he dying? So I tried to make them light as 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 well as informational about his medical history. And after he passed away, Sean, the list was probably over 100. And I got so many emails that said, I miss hearing from you. Can you keep writing. And I'm like, right about what? Ron's gone. So I decided to write about our life to these people Mm. just, and I I named it Ron's Sunday blog. And basically I turned one year worth of blogs once a week. So that's 52 of them into the little blue book of grieving. There you go. Mm. 52 little vignettes with a Bible store. I mean, a, a Bible quote at the beginning And they have grieving steps to them at the end of almost each story. And they they can relate to you're grieving the death of your child, you're grieving the death of your wife, your mom, your dad. You know, with all of those, the grief is slightly different. With a child, of course, you grieve the future that you had in the child, the dreams you had for the child. With your parents, sometimes you grieve because it means they're the keeper of your childhood and if they're gone it's like oh gosh did I lose my childhood did I lose <laughs> my memories and there's also little ways Sean that I threw in there sort of peppered some of the stories and some of the the vignettes with ways to kind of I don't know work around it or puzzle through it for example if you if it is your parents that you've lost and you feel that sense of I you know I feel like I don't have my childhood anymore or I'm next you know we we think that when we're when we have to bury one of our parents. Oh my gosh, I'm next. I'm the next gen. I'm next. You know, find a cousin or find somebody that's known you in your childhood. If you have to Facebook some childhood stories, that helps you kind of deal with that because that's an added layer of grief that can be dealt with. You can't really sort of speed grief of missing your mom and your dad, but if it's adding to that oh my gosh, I don't have anybody to talk about my childhood because your parents are the ones that are, I remember when you were five, Sean, and you used to eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. You want, you want your cousin to say that too now because you want to know that those are still alive. So there are a little tip on sort of how to navigate a little bit of that. But the point is to help you navigate the grieving process because as you said at the top of this, Sean, we're all going to go through it. Maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe hopefully you're not a child. But it's likely going to be your parents or a brother or a sister or a dear friend or an aunt or a grandma or somebody. We're all, we, we don't get out of here alive. I, I'm here to tell you, we don't get out of here alive. So it's going to happen to all of us.
1: No doubt about it. One of the things, uh, for many years, I had a counseling practice. And um, one of the things I would talk about in grief counseling, people would say, you know, I wasn't even really close to my parent. Why am I so devastated? Now at the loss mm-hmm. of my parent, why why is this so so difficult? I didn't think it would be because I you know I was I wasn't really close to them whether it be it the mother or the father. And I say you know because here's the thing: when your parent dies, especially that last parent, when you no longer have a parent, you, that's final. You it's no more chance of getting it right, no more chance of of fixing oh. whatever was broken or hurt, and the finality mm-hmm. of it. Uh, especially if they didn't know Christ, it's it's really difficult. And the thing is, mm-hmm. is I say, you know, we can't go back in time and we can't unring a bell. But what you can do is look at if they have children, look at your current relationship with your spouse. Look at your current relationship with your children. What are you putting before your relationship with your children and your spouse? What is what is capturing all of your attention such that you don't notice when they change their look a little bit or they, uh, they seem to be down or they seem to be happy or they seem to be preoccupied or nervous or, or uh, you know, something is going on. You don't even notice it because you're so busy doing the stuff you're doing and you really miss out. You miss out. And you can make it good and you can make it right, uh, but you've got to catch on. You've got to realize, hey, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix mm-hmm. this. I can't. I like fix that. You got to catch on. You do. Got to catch on. I, I can't fix this yep. with mom and dad, but I but I can with my own spouse and with my own family. So, so let's um let's say this that folks, you can go to Amazon. I would encourage you, uh, to to do that. Go and buy this book. Um, I really recommend you get the audio book as well as a print version. Now, if you're a person who is all about Kindle, then certainly get the Kindle. And also get the audiobook because again, Andrea Shea King, phenomenal job, phenomenal job.
2: Yeah, she really, at, did. I mean, it brought me she to really tears did.
1: several times. And so, that said, to say this, so now um, here we are. This has been a crazy day, has it not? Politically, has this oh not been gosh. the darnest oh thing?
2: It, it, it's going to be uh, crazier, and it, you know, I, I, am going to say this on the uh, at the beginning of of this. This is more of the same, and I think we can expect it for uh, – here's how, I, how long I expect all of this, and I'm going to call it nitpicking. Not that some of what is going on isn't serious. It, it is serious. It's very serious. The, the leaking and, and you know, General Flynn and, and what all of that happened, especially with Vice President Pence. He's such a moral Christian man for him to now know that he went out and lied like he did. You know, that, all of that's bad, but I, I'm going to put all of that in nitpicking category just for now. This nitpicking is going to go on and on and on. This president did not get a honeymoon. He didn't get that honeymoon phase that all other presidents did. I think, though, that it will come out in the wash, Sean, when we, the American people, start feeling the benefit of his new policies. And I think that could be as early as late Easter, early you know early summer. I, I think because Donald Trump does believe that he is going to make America great again. He does believe and is working to make America number one. America is number one in everything he thinks about, just like his companies were number one in everything he thought about. So I think his policies, I think his getting rid of regulations, I think his new laws that he will work with Congress to get through will resonate and trickle down to us, and we're going to eventually be able to get rid of that third job and, and have the good one job and spend more time with our families. As you said, get it right, figure it out. And when we're happy, we're not going to care that they're nitpicking. And you know what? We're going to eventually say, get rid of it. We're going to eventually say, get over it. We're going to say, give it a break, give it a rest. We're tired of it. The guy's okay in my book. Let it, let it alone. And I think that will die. I'm, I can't wait for that day because, Honestly, most of this is just that,
1: nitpicking. Most well, of
2: it really is nitpicking.
1: It's, uh, well, okay. Well, let me, let me just kind of put it to you this way. I, I, how do I say this and not sound awful? Um, <laughs> there was a time where I looked at the left and really some on the right. And I said, well, you can't be too hard on them you know, they're getting information from a bad source or mm-hmm. you know, they're stuck on CNN or, or whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be, they look, they'll come around. As more and more information gets in front of them that's correct and accurate, like Andrea is doing some great work uh, in her. If you don't follow Andrea and Elizabeth on Facebook, you should. Uh, they're doing some stuff that's just oof, scary stuff, scary stuff. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is I look at the left now and I, and, and I don't have the same feeling. I don't, I no longer look at them and I say, well, they love America too, because I don't believe they do. Um, I, I don't believe they do. I don't think they're competent to be in the roles that they're in when they're political people. When I see somebody, uh, like, uh, the Congressman from Georgia standing up there and, and he wants a bunch of, uh, special uh, investigators and commissions oh, the and all stuff. the special committee
2: and yeah. all of that, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Cummins, he wants all these things. And I think to myself, look, that that guy is a recalcitrant, incorrigible, he will never ever come around. I watched, um, I binge watched, I'll, I'll be honest, I binge watched the OJ story, uh, on Netflix, and I, I was not feeling well and I couldn't drive anywhere, so I figured, well. Let me just put this on, and, and I had it on there, and I watched it start to finish, start to finish, um, a whole season, and I have to tell you, um, having been a police officer, having dealt with uh, what was going on there, I, I don't have positive feelings toward many of the actors, not actors as far as the people play roles, but people that played a part in what was actually going on during that time and by that I mean the people with signs on overpass is cheering for OJ Simpson uh, by that I mean jurors who gave the uh, the black uh, panther fist sign as he was walking out of the court the 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 biased just terribly biased racist mess I was never a fan of, of Johnny Cochran I know a lot more about him than most people do. I happened to uh, study him years ago and, and uh, just not, not a good man, a very, very, very divisive man. And, you know, he's passed away from cancer and, and um, you saw a picture of groupthink. you saw a picture of people who just wanted to take a pound of flesh out of white mm-hmm. people. You saw, You saw a a group of people say, I don't care if he did or he didn't. I believe the LAPD framed them. Mm -hmm. I believe that he framed him. And now, you know, and they just went ahead. They didn't care. A human being, two human beings were killed, but a human being almost had her head cut off. Most people don't realize that. He very nearly beheaded his ex-wife, the mother of his children. And so there was overwhelming evidence, yet people didn't want to believe this. And so, and most of them, it, it's a fact that has to be said, were leftists. They were, they, they want socialism. They wanted free stuff. They wanted, and, and so I used to look at those people and the politicians that supported uh, their belief and how they were conducting themselves. And I, I cannot anymore. I can't say, well, they just, you know, they're angry over the treatment. On the left, you say, well, they just don't know about Islam. Uh, well, they're just upset that Hillary Clinton lost. She was so sure she would win. I have to say the fact that they would put up Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders as their as their option for America, as their fix for America, is egregious. It's egregious mm-hmm. and it and it tells me more than I need to know. And and uh the Planned Parenthood involvement, the the fact that Planned Parenthood was there at almost every campaign stop, the head of Planned Parenthood. Look, we got to kill more babies. We've just got to kill these babies, and if you let we Donald Trump get in their office,
2: body parts. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's that's it. You know, that's it. It's over with. We're going to lose our 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 women's rights and our our health and blah blah. You know, I just I couldn't take it, and so I've made the decision. Look, I'm no longer going to uh, assume that they're going to come around, and I also am of the belief that these uh, these riots and the different things that they're doing they need to be met with force, overwhelming force Mm -hmm. to shut them down. First Amendment is one thing.
2: Yeah, I think you might see something out of the Justice Department. I don't know about force right away, but I think Justice Department is not going to sleep on their their rights, if you will, to sort of try to tamp it down. Well, I I think at some point we
1: need to stop worrying about optics. You know what I'm saying?
2: Right. Right. Yes. Yes. And you know what? I, here's one that I, maybe your audience can think about, and Sean, you're a smart guy. You can think about it, too. I think Donald Trump has done an amazing job at basically narrating and making the case for fake news. It's now yeah. part of our lexicon. We now know what he's talking about, and we now sort of recognize it a little better than we did even two months ago, even three months ago. I want him, and you know, the, you know the political adage. I say it all the time at Andrea's show. If she's listening, she's probably going to scream at the radio. He who defines first defines last. Donald Trump knows that better than you and I and half the people that I've ever met. He knows that adage backwards and forwards, and he's amazing at it. First of all, he's one of these guys that can, can assess a room in a New York minute, and then once he assesses the room and the, and the flavor and the, the sense of it, he then can give it a one- or two-word tag, which most people, you have to hire an ad agency and spend a bazillion dollars to do. He can do that in the next five minutes, and then five minutes later, he's got everybody believing it because he knows how to spin it. I say all of that to say he's done that with fake news. We now know, thanks to him, what fake news is, and we almost can recognize it. Wow, he's done that in about three, three months. I want him to do this with these fake protesters. I want him to do it with these fake uh, scenes of ire that are fake they're hired they're George Soros funded I want him to do that and at the same time I think members of Congress and Congress as a whole can band together and pass some decent laws so that again going back to what I said earlier the American people can get the better job they can they can be happier with their family the economy will come back we will be happier we will be happier healthier we will we will then be able to look at the fake news and the fake protests and know them for what they are. And when we call them out for what they are, I think they eventually go away. Or they lose their they lose their steam a little bit. But right now they're at they're at a fever pitch. People that just barely look at the news, people that are just barely sort of keeping up are scared to death that they're gonna have a riot in their streets over something. It's working. George Soros and, and his his agitators are working. And you know what? We haven't even thought about what will happen when Barack Obama gets in the game, because that's what he's pretty much told us he's going to do, a professional agitator. As former president, he's just going to be a professional agitator. So we need to tag it as what it is. We need to define it as what it is. As I said, Donald Trump's the best at it. And we need the tag to be good. We need it to stick and it be believable because it needs to be factual. And then we can put it in our own category of, oh, that's just fake. Oh, that's just all those fake people. They're all paid. It's not genuine. And then we'll be able to move on and it takes all the wind out of it. That's what I hope happens, Sean. I really do. And it might take your show. It might take Andrea's show. You know, We might have to get our voices out there more than we would on something like this. But it needs to be... It needs to be what it is. It needs to be said what it is right out front. As you said at the beginning, you're tired of trying to be nice about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're tired of trying to be nice and find a a, poli- a a nicer way of saying it. It is what it is. It's fake. It's not genuine. It's all made up. It's all put together by by left money to scare us to death. And so far it's working.
1: Yeah, it's designed to destroy us. So I wanted to talk and get your, uh, get your, uh, your input on the fiscal burden of illegal immigration in America and on Americans, because it's not just some nebulous thing. Oh well, it it costs the taxpayer. Look, you and I are taxpayers. We are people, and and, and there are people out there scraping by that that have to bear this. And so they tell me uh, the net cost of illegal immigration on U.S. taxpayers annually is a hundred billion dollars. Now that's an estimated 13 million illegal aliens live in the United States. Now that's what we know of. And we know for a fact that that number is probably off by a good million. Illegal aliens cost tax pay- taxpayers, $113 mil- billion. I'm sorry. Did I say hundred million? I said hundred billion, $113 mm-hmm. billion dollars in state and local costs. So they're born by the state, but they only pay an estimated 10 billion in taxes collected by the state. Now that leaves a burden of nearly 100 billion dollars. So general government services 18 billion, education 51 billion, healthcare 17 billion, justice and law enforcement 17 billion and 10 billion in public assistance. That's the struggle that I have. I, I look at that and I say to myself at some point or another Americans need to look at this and they need to say we're spending 100 billion on illegal, illegal law breakers in this country, $100 billion. And I ask, what are we spending on homeless veterans? What are we spending on returning? Right, what is the go. amount that we're spending? I look at this dam in California that Jerry Brown uh, has come to uh, <laughs> President Trump and said, oh, we need money. We need money. We need help. Yeah, we need it fixed. Um, we need it fixed. Yep. How much money did this guy spend on illegal aliens and sanctuary cities? And how much did he spend on fixing this dam, which could kill tens of thousands of people? It, it's, a, it's at some point, this needs to be a crime. It needs to be looked at as a crime. Uh, Ray Nagin, I, I, he's in jail, which is good. That's the place for him. Ray Nagin, instead of spending federal dollars that were coming in during the course of his term to shore up the dams and the levees and the, and the spillways and the pumps and all of this, he lived it up, bred that money around and, and it didn't get fixed. And then when the flood comes, all of a sudden it's the fault of
2: the federal government conservatives.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. We, you don't like, people, Sean, you've, so, you've
2: hit a nerve, you, you've you hit a nerve and you've, you've hit it in a sideways way, but, but a way that I think your listeners will totally get because you mentioned a governor, of California, and you mentioned a former mayor of New Orleans, both of which are elected officials, right? Both of which the people went to the polls, went to the ballot box and elected them. And then you know what those folks did in California and Louisiana. They went back to their lives and raising their kids and being soccer moms or whatever it is you do in your life. And you expect those two gentlemen to do their job, right? You expect them to handle the problems. In both cases, they didn't. In the case of Ray Nagin, the former mayor of New Orleans, He spent the Corps of Engineers money that was supposed to be shoring up levies so Katrina didn't drown the whole city of New Orleans. He spent it on other things. Jerry Brown obviously didn't spend the money that he was getting on infrastructure. So now what do they do? They come to the federal government hat in hand, hand out saying, give me, give me, give me. What we're doing is we're electing in all levels of our government. It's because we've gotten lazy. It's because we, you know, I started this whole segment, this whole show with, we have the greatest representative government in the world, but it only works if we pay attention. We quit paying attention because we wanted to raise our kids and we wanted to do all that we want to do. And we send these guys to Washington or to our state capitals, expect them to do it, but they're not. So we have, we have in the last 20 years, elected mayors and city councils and lieutenant governors and governors, you know what? All they know how to do is hold out their hand and say, federal government, where's my money? We gotta, <clears throat> we've got to turn that on its head. That's not the way our system is designed. It will implode. When you talk about the illegal immigration, it's imploding the system. Because they are a drain on our society. All roads do not lead to the federal government. They should lead away from the federal government. Those mayors and those governors should figure out how to fix it on their own, should figure out how to fix their levies on their own, should figure out how to fix the roads and bridges. I hate this infrastructure bill that, that President Trump is trying to get through. I understand why. I understand why he needs it. I understand that our roads and our bridges are, are in a shambles. But here's the deal. I don't think the federal government should bail out a mayor of some unnamed city, name a city, I'm sure it has a bridge that's falling down, because you didn't spend the money that you got, that's your taxpayers, your local money. You didn't spend it on your bridge. I don't know what you did with it. I don't really care. I don't live in your town. But you follow what I'm saying? All you know how to do is open your hand and say, where's my money, federal government? We need to get back to basics, which is electing people in all forms of our government to do it right and do it all. We're much better local. A local guy knows how to fix things much better than some guy in Washington. Uh, our, our governor knows how to fix our state much better than the people in Washington. But if our mayors and our governors don't take the time to figure out how to do it, all they do is go to Washington and ask for the money, we're going to end up like this over and over and over. And when it comes to immigration, Sean, you nailed it. right. We, we need the money for other things. If they want so badly to come to this country, And obviously they do. They're breaking laws to come to this country. We need to change the immigration laws either to make it easier. I'm not talking about for the people that already have broken laws. I'm not talking about that. Revamp our immigration system as it is. Do something with the law breakers. Don't reward them by allowing them to stay on government payrolls and government doles. Send them back. Send them to the back of the line. Make them pay fines. Make them pay all sorts of other things. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say I have the answer, but we need to fix it because you're right. It is another total drain. But when Donald Trump talks about that, oh my gosh, you know what happens. That's when George Soros can hire even more people to protest and say that he's some horrible homophobe, or he's some racist, or he's some Muslim hating whatever, whatever. George Soros gets more people standing in line taking his little payroll for him to to hire these people to do it. It's because they don't pay attention. It's because they they expect our federal government to handle it all. And you know what, Sean, our federal government is not designed, not equipped. It, it's not supposed to do it all. It's not supposed to do it all. The more we give it, the more it has trouble doing its basic stuff, let alone all this new stuff that we give it. So we need to rest our control back to our locals, hire decent mayors, and it starts with your city council. It starts with your, your, your PTA, quite frankly. It starts with your local mayor, all the way to your state senator, your state representative, whether it's called House of Delegates or whatever it's called in your state, all the way to your governor, starts hiring and electing people at that level that know what they're doing. And When you said that the Democrats put up Hillary and Bernie It is pitiful. But you know what? Their bench is so light, which means they don't have a lot of good people waiting in the wings. The one thing I loved about our election, it may have looked like a catwalk when you looked at the 16 or 18, sometimes on the stage when some of those debates. But I was pretty proud. Man, we got a pretty nice group to choose from. I kind of wish they could all be married into one with little pieces from everywhere almost. But It at least gave me the sense that, man, our bench is pretty deep, we're pretty talented, and there was more to come. There was a lot more to come. You remember that Mike Pence threw his hat in the ring and did an exploratory on whether he should run for president. I guess his numbers came out bad, so he said no. I think he'd make a great president. Obviously, I think he's making a great vice president as we speak. So I think he'd make a great president. I guess what I'm saying is our, our bench is even deeper. But the more we recruit the good guys and we teach them from the very beginning how to be a good mayor. Don't let your mayor just go to Washington or, for that matter, go to your state capitol and the state capitol go to Washington and get the money. Make them accountable for, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to fix this at home? Isn't, isn't the road supposed to be fixed by you, Mr. Mayor? Don't be go get after federal dollars. We don't we don't want a tick a take parade because you went and found federal dollars to fix something that you should have fixed on your own. We've gotten it all mixed up. It's all twisted in our head. And that's dangerous. We're heading down a dangerous path, which is one of the reasons why I think George Soros can hire so many of these Yahoos to to take ten bucks an hour to go protest something they don't even know about. Sorry I got on my soapbox. I'll get back off, Sean.
1: No, 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 that's what you're here for. Hey, tell me real quick, what do you think is the number one thing that President Donald Trump needs to be doing right now?
2: Repealing Obamacare. How do they do it? Repealing Obamacare. It's easy to repeal. It's not as easy to replace. And I know I have a a very close family member that works for the Big Blue, the Blue Cross Blue Shield, and he's told me for years, I know Aetna, Aetna, Humana has for years. They've had in their proverbial desk drawer what they will do as soon as Obamacare gets replaced. It's not going to be some freaked out time in the, in this whole healthcare industry's world where everybody's going to be hair on fire and go, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. They all have plan B in their desk drawer. They might have to dust it off a little bit, read what's in the margins, but they all have plan B. They're waiting to pull that out of their desk drawer. Blue Cross Blue Shield is waiting for Obamacare to die a sudden death. They will jump in. They will take care of, pre-existing to a certain extent. They will take care of buying insurance across state lines. They will take care of, you want your child to be on your policy till he's 25, 26, or she's 25. We can do that, too. They will right the ship if the federal government just gets out of the way. Will they do it perfectly? No. But you know what? Dr. Price, our new secretary of HHS, he'll do it right. Sean, he's he's been a member and actually... Yes, he's a founding member of the doctors or the medical coalition, I forget what they called it all of a sudden, the drew a blank, I think it's called the Doctors Coalition. It's members of the House, it's members of the Senate that were doctors, that were nurses, that were PAs, that were veterinarians, that were um, EMTs, all of those folks, they met I don't want to say weekly, but I know at least monthly, in somebody's office, usually usually, Dr. Price, Congressman Price was the one that organized it, and they sat there and they wrote that bill, that proverbial bill that, that I just talked about that was in somebody's desk drawer, only in this case it was in Dr. Price's desk drawer, literally, and it was dog-eared and it was had written all over the margins. That's what they are going to use when they finally repeal and replace Obamacare. I wish they'd do it sooner rather than later, and I know they're nervous about getting it done right, and getting it done soon. I, I think, though, it's a long way of saying, Sean, that's the most important thing I can do right now, because that, in what I believe, was one of the biggest promises that all of the Republicans that won, and it really going back to 10, going back to 12, going back to 14, going back to 16, and... Donald Trump, get out of our way. Get the government out of our way. We are okay on our own. We we do okay on our own. Get out of our way. And the one place that they are so in our way is healthcare and that is dangerous and needs to get out of the way. And I'm hoping they have it repealed by Easter or or I'll say first part of spring.
1: Awesome. Well, as as a result of Obamacare, I lost what little insurance coverage I had. So I'm without it and been without it for a long time. So. I am a big, big fan. The Iran deal, uh, Jerry from Pennsylvania, of course, you know, Jerry, um, I you do. Know, needs to be repealed, too. That's extremely dangerous. What do you make of the Russian ship off of, uh, it was off of Delaware, and now it's working up the coast, off the coast uh, of Connecticut. What do you make of that?
2: I. It makes me nervous. I don't know why we don't put a couple of ships out where we need to start flexing our muscles a little bit. I am not a military guru at all, and I don't want the listeners to think that, but I'm just talking about a strategic chess match. You know, I say this all the time. The Democrats play chess. We play checkers. I think Donald right. Trump is going to be a chess player. I, I think he yeah, is I finally. We're going to have a chess player on our team finally. But, I, you know, my, again, I am a chess player, not a good one, but I am one. I, I would find out where some of our ships are and have them inching out. Somewhere, So that people go, what the heck is that? I heard on the show that we've got a ship in such. What the heck is that? Get the buzz going. Just like you just asked. Why is it close to Delaware? What's it doing out there? We should have some of our ships out there. What's it? First of all, if nothing else, it starts a dialogue. It doesn't have to start a food fight. It doesn't have to start World War four or three or whatever we think we're in. It doesn't have to start that. It can start a dialogue. And the one thing Mm -hmm. we do know this president can do is talk. Yeah, officer. that's for sure.
1: That's for sure, and officer. he and he's a no bull Negotiator,
2: right? Yep, right. no
1: doubt. Right. Well, Elizabeth, this time has has uh, flown really oh, quick. And uh, do you know anything about uh, Pruitt when he's going to be confirmed? By the way.
2: Uh, I don't. I don't know if he'll make it by the end of the week or not. Actually, and you know they're going to go out next week for a couple of days. Yeah. In a couple of days, basically, almost the whole week. So. It's, it's either by Thursday or not until they come back, and that's a shame. Yeah. And I know we, we're about out of time, but it's a shame that they've had to spend so much time on these nominations when they were all a fait accompli anyway. It's a shame. Yeah. It's, it's a waste of our, of our time and our talents as far as our members of Congress. That is a waste of time. Um, it is what it is. They're all going to get through. And, you know, in two months, we're not going to remember that we spent January and February doing this when we could have been doing something else. But we could have been doing something else. And I, the we, of course, is our members of Congress because they're us. Amen. They're there speaking but, for us. So anyway, that's right. I, I don't. It's know time. We remind them who did, who
1: are It's time. We remind them who their bosses is. Listen, we're out of time. Yep. Thank you so much. We'll- to chatting with you again soon. All my best. Thank you to the folks in chat. Please go to TheNinjaPastor.com or DrSeanBreder.com. Click on the link for Elizabeth's book. It is fantastic. God bless you. Thank you for coming on.
0: Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drSeanGreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.